This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 187. Energy, bro. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, good people? Welcome to a brand new installment of the Before the Millions podcast. I am your host, DeRay Olalaye, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited because we have a brand new episode, episode 187, with Mr. Gustavo Castro and Gustavo has one of the largest inside sales agent businesses in North America. And you're probably wondering, what's an inside sales agent? Well, we'll talk about that a whole lot in this episode, but they are very distinctly different from the average typical virtual assistant. And we'll get into all why you may need a VA, a virtual assistant, but also why you may need an ISA, an inside sales agent. So, Make sure that you stay tuned for the episode. Gustavo is a breath of fresh air because we talk all things sales. I even talk about negotiating tactics that I use in the business. Gustavo talks about Facebook ads. It's just an amazing episode. If you're not already subscribed to the Before the Millions podcast, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and then go ahead and share this podcast with a friend. I've actually missed you guys, man. I mean, it's been a week, maybe two weeks since the last episode. And again, we rarely ever miss weeks, but... But last weekend, I actually made a promise to myself. I was like, all right, we're going to use the next 48 hours to go ahead and drop the next eight to 10 episodes of the podcast so that it can already be in the queue for the next month or two. Well, lo and behold, I went to take my second COVID shot and needless to say, that shot totally wiped me out. So I plan on doing all of that here this upcoming weekend. I'm going to take about you know, Saturday and Sunday, the next 48 hours and really just queue up the next 10 episodes of this podcast so that we make sure that we deliver these podcast episodes to you guys every single week. With that being said, there's a ton of great guests coming up on the show. There's a ton of great strategies that these guests are implementing in their multi-million dollar businesses. Speaking of million dollar business, I have a really great show that I think you guys will like, and I'll talk more about that show here in the tip of the week. Not a big TV or show person, but every once in a while, there's something that captivates my attention, and I feel the urge and the need to share it with you guys. So stay tuned for the tip of the week. Stay tuned for the actual episode with Mr. Gustavo Castro. And I just want to end this intro by saying that when you own a business, the problems that you face in that business are very fluid. They're very different, most likely from year to year. 
So right now in the real estate business, there's this big commotion going on because of the laws that are surrounding texting and cold calling and, you know, really just phone marketing. And we'll actually talk a little bit about phone marketing here on this episode. But I just want to say that in any economy, in any market, the people that make it to the other end, the people that see it through are the people who, one, have multiple marketing channels. And two, even if you don't, you have the mindset that you're going to figure out what's the next best step in my business. So I know I'm personally talking to my clients and I know a lot of people out there are talking to their people, just making sure that, hey, all we have to do is adjust. All we have to do is understand that we have a machine. And if one part of the machine is faulty or broken, we can replace that part with another part that's equally as good, if not better. So word to the wise in this hectic, crazy, jubilant economy in some facets. But but I just wanted to lay that on your heart. Now, let's get to the show. DeRay's tip of the week. All right. So short and sweet tip of the week this week. There is a show recommendation that I would like for you guys to check out. I often recommend books and resources and tools and gadgets and apps, but Every once in a while, I do like to watch TV, and there's actually a show that I think will be super beneficial for the listeners of this podcast. So instead of watching your favorite drama tonight, instead of watching your favorite comedy or your favorite movie, I want you to go check out a show on Discovery called Undercover Billionaire. Now, this show has two seasons, and the premise of this show is showing us That the American dream is not dead. It is still alive and thriving. And the way that it shows us this is that it takes a billionaire and it puts them in a small to mid-sized city somewhere in the U.S. where they are unknown. They have none of their credentials. They change their name. They're given a small beat up truck and $100. And with $100, not knowing a single person in that entire town and having a truck on day one, they have 90 days to build an entire $1 million business. So at the end of 90 days, they would have had to have built a business that has a valuation of a million dollars or more, starting with the hundred dollars and nowhere to sleep. Guys, again, it's two seasons in so far at the time of this recording. And it's one of the best shows that I've seen out there. I absolutely love it. It's so inspirational. Season one features one entrepreneur. His name is Glenn Stearns. These entrepreneurs are billionaires or pretty close to billionaires, but they have billion dollar companies. And for them to take $100 and turn it into a million dollar business. And you see that over the course of 90 days and they document the entire process. It's it's just been It's been amazing. I mean, you're going to binge it. You're going to love it. So it's my recommendation for this week because I think that inspiration is a major part of the game. I think that's why you listen to this podcast sometimes. It's not always about the tactical how-to. Sometimes it's just about the inspiration, the knowing that, hey, I can do this. You can start from anywhere. You can be whatever you want to be. I mean, again, the American dream is not dead. If these people can go to the middle of nowhere with no contacts, connections, and take $100 and turn it into a million dollar business in just one quarter, like 90 day period, like again, it's just insane to me how they're able to do this. If they're able to do that, imagine how much more we are able to do with our skill set, with our connections, with our resources 
with the business that we've already built with the longer time frame. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. So I love this show for inspiration, for encouragement. And I highly recommend that you go and watch both seasons. I can't wait for season three. Anyways, that's the tip of the week this week. Let's get into our conversation with Mr. Gustavo Castro. And now your feature presentation. My then girlfriend, now wife, then girlfriend. I was 19. She was 18. And she dropped this book in my lap. And it will, you know, and it's going to sound corny as, as anything, you know, uh, to be re- but this is 100% true. Rich dad. Poor dad. <laughs> and I know that's like the generic answer a lot of people give. This is 100% legit, right? This is exactly what happened. I had grown up. I realized, I read the book. I said, this is this looks like the corniest self-help thing ever. I was that way, right? right. I'm studying engineering at school. I'm thinking I'm all that, you know, all that stuff. And I, and I, I read this book and, I'm, and, I, and, it, and it challenges a lot of my beliefs, right? And, I, and I've, always, I've always loved that. I always love reading things and consuming content that is contrarian to what I think, right? So I read it and it was, it resonated with me. I came from the poor dad family. My parents like wanted me to become a professional, get a job. And they, uh, uh, they, 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 they didn't have nice things to say about people that went into business, entrepreneurs, and it was like putting them down. It wasn't, it was, it was, I, 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 a lot of things resonated with me. And I said, that's, that's interesting. I thought, that, that's interesting. I started to question the first time I ever actually questioned the life path that I was on. It was early for me, right? I wasn't ready to make, take the plunge. I wasn't ready to make the change yet. But that was the first seed. Mm. That was, you know, a girl that I really liked and I wanted to impress putting a book in front of me. Hell yes, I was going to read it, right? And talk to her about it. She right. came from an entrepreneurial family. Her, her family was all about buying and selling and doing all these things. It was foreign to me. It was like a, like a, like someone from another planet. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but they also did things that my parents didn't do. They could take off on a, on a Tuesday afternoon and go visit us. Right. And spend a couple of days with us and then go in the middle of the week. And I'm like, what, what, this what is, is not, what you can do? What kind of, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not normal. And if they felt like it, they'd stay the whole week. Cause we were in a college town. So they'd stay the whole week with us. Right. And that, in that town, like, well, that's interesting. And they always had like really nice cars. I'm like, what do your parents do again? Oh yeah, they've got a little. They've got a corner store, and and they were and they and they had like a, a. They were farmers too. They farmed on the side, and they sold their fruit, and they had a corner store, and they did this, and they did that. There was a list of things. And I'm like, no, but 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 you're one thing, right? That's what you. I mean, you study, go to school, and then you become that thing, and then you get more certifications, you get accreditations, you you do your masters, and you do your PhD, right? I mean, isn't that but the way, and then you can make a ton of money, right? That's, I mean, that's that you follow all the rules. And then, you know, I, I'm guessing profit at the end, you know, you do something, something profit and, and, and that, and that, and they introduced me to something different, a different way of doing things, a different way of living. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I, I put it in my backpack. I didn't, I wasn't ready to make the change. So I was in school in Mexico. This is all happening outside the U S and I got an offer to go work in Microsoft. Uh, I int- interned there for two summers and it was like, you know, making it to the show, making it to the major leagues. It was like, you know, amazing. They offered me a full-time position. This was two, back in 2004, a long time ago, guys. I mean, you know, and, and people might not remember this, right? unless they're a little older. Uh, Microsoft was it in the early 2000s. There was no other show in town, man. It was PC, mobile phone, con- gaming console, the browser. Everything was Microsoft. Microsoft was number one. So it was like going to Amazon, Google, Facebook, all put into one. That was the, like getting an offer to work for them, right? It's like, wow, man, get me aboard the mothership. I'm here, man. 
and 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 I and I made it. I became a minor celebrity in my hometown in Mexico for getting a job in Microsoft. To give you an idea, right? Yeah. So, so this is I made it. My parents were ecstatic, bro. It was like you, I, we we did it. We did it, right? We're there. I was 23 years old, and my first boss in Microsoft. This is a hundred percent true story. He saw that I had the bug. He saw that I, hey man, you've got some skills there. You know, you you kind of got the gift of gab. He was. Uh, he, he had a side hustle. He had a restaurant. He was a serial entrepreneur working full-time in Microsoft the whole time. He always had a side hustle going. And he goes, Gus, he told me this. I don't know if I should feel happy for you or feel sorry for you, my friend, because this is the best job I've ever had my whole life working at Microsoft. And this is the first job you've ever had. So, bro, <laughs> where, where you go from yep. here? <laughs> yeah, so it's only downhill from here, baby. So, you know, I don't know if it'll be happy or sad for you. And I was like, I had no clue what he was talking about today. I had no idea what he meant by that, right? In, in the moment. I'm like, well, that's a funny thing to say. He could t- he, he saw that I had the bug. He saw that I had the, I was always taking my entrepreneurship, you know, magazines and telling him about some articles that he should implement in his business. This is, and this was just a hobby for me. I read Inc. Magazine. I read Entrepreneur Magazine. I thought that was interesting. It was a hobby. I thought it was interesting to me, right? I said, hey, man, you should do this. You should do that. Those are early, early 2000s for me. Um, I worked in Microsoft. I, you know, my wife came and joined my, my girlfriend. I talked about. She went and joined me in, in Seattle. We got married. It was great. And then it starts to weigh on you, Duray, right? Mm-hmm. And and I know your audience understands this. It gets yeah, it's a dream job. Yeah, it's the security. Yeah, it's amazing. But even if you're a software engineer or if you're in the mailroom in a corporation, I think the timeline can change. But there comes a time when it gets a little bit harder to get up in the morning. It's a little bit harder to put in that extra time that they're asking, they're demanding you to do to work at a corporation like that. It's a little bit harder because even though you got great stuff, I was able to buy a lot of great stuff. A lot. I was able to do trips to Vegas, to Europe. I went to the Olympics, you know, uh, in London. I had to go to, you know, all over Mexico. I'm from Mexico. So I go all over Mexico, the beach towns, the resorts, you know, all those things. <laughs> there comes a time when that's not enough, right? And you're either honest with yourself about that. Why am I unha- Why am I unsatisfied? Why am I unhappy? Why am I? Why isn't all this stuff? Well, I got to buy the new, the next thing. I got to buy the, the next car and the next phone and the next house. I had my, I had the Microsoft house. I had the Microsoft cars, uh, you know. And I was like, I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Well, what's 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 the next thing? What's the next thing? Um, I was unsatisfied, right? And, and it's selfish to say that. I understand how entitled and how selfish that sounds, right? Because mm-hmm. people would kill to have that position. I was an engineering manager at that time, senior engineering manager at Microsoft, still the number one corporation for software in, on the wor- in the world, right? Um, you know, living the life, living the dream, but it wasn't my dream. And that mm. was at that realization took me 10 years uh, to, to really achieve and, and, and internalize, right? I knew it from the start, but I was not ready to take the plunge until 10 well, almost 10 years had gone by, right? You know, uh, nine and a half years, full-time employee at Microsoft. And it started, again, with my partner in crime, my wife, right? She knew I had the bug. She saw it in me, right? She saw it. She knew it. And, you know, she took the plunge in 2008 and got licensed in real estate. And if people, you know, don't, don't remember, 2008 was not the best year yeah. to get into business, right? <laughs> it was like the world was ending. It was like, you know, real estate is good. We literally, there was, a, there was, it was not crazy to think that 
a whole economy could tumble and the world would end. It was not that was not an insane thought mm. at the end of 2008. For people that don't remember, it was it was like COVID, but it lasted a year. That, <laughs> those crazy weeks at the beginning of COVID, where we didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Imagine that happened a year, not mm. in a wee, few weeks, right? A year of an uncertainty and just doom and gloom. Everything was just going wrong, right? So she was trying to buy and sell houses. She became the rookie of the year in her real estate office, but she only had to in sell like eight houses that year. In a <laughs> it was, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't. You know, it was like it was challenging, but it was like the numbers were not impressive, right? That that was the market. Um, but she but she made it, and you know, at, and I had my full time job at Microsoft. So we were okay. We did fine, right? We were we were okay compared to other folks. Um, and slowly the market started to turn. So she pushed me to get licensed in 2010, right? Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it because I want to help you out. This looks interesting. I, I like, this is, sounds fun. My, my, it became my nights and weekends kind of gig helping her out. I was a really expensive real estate assistant for her, right? And, you know, and, and, and you start to take on these things and the hobbies start to take up more of your time. I got into the game. You know, it was a great time to be an investor at that time. You could buy properties. You know, well, it was a lot easier than it is now. You can still do it now. But it was like, wow, I shouldn't fish in a barrel back then, right? Whether it was short sales, bank owned pro, you could get investment deals off the MLS today. It was pretty, pretty <laughs> crazy, right? So we would do deals. We would get uh, our friends to do. We would do deals for our friends. And then re retail real estate also started to pick up again in 2012. It just, we're, the, the huge seller's market we're seeing right now began in 2012. At least right. in Seattle, that area, right. and it hasn't stopped, you know, since then, right? Um, so, so I, so 2012, the market starts taking off. My wife wants to build a team, and I'm like, "What? Well, I, I can help you, right? I, I, I can take a few months off of work, sabbatical, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll go back to the mothership. It's fine. I'll take six months, and okay. and and if I don't go, oh, and Microsoft was going through a huge reorg, right? All these things aligned. All these things aligned. The CEO got fired after like 20 years in the, or 10, 12 years on the job. Everyone was going to get, well, you know, the whole team was going to get replaced. You just knew it was coming. And Microsoft was going to go through like a year or two year process of rediscovering itself. That was going to happen. The writing was on the wall. I said, well, if I skip a few months of this massive reorg, probably not going to miss too much, right? So let me just go help my wife for six months. Is it six months? And then I'll come back. And if I don't come back, I'll go to Amazon or to Facebook or to Google or whatever, right? So, so that was summer of 2013. And I never looked back. I became, you know, a, a first a full-time real estate agent with my wife, a team leader. Um, and then I started the company I'm running right now a couple of years later, Power ISA. And this morning, I have 101 uh, full-time employees with another 17 people in training that aren't full-time yet, but they're training to become full-time employees. So uh, that's, you know... Kind of a fast forwarding that last Gustavo, part. Gustavo, yeah, that's where we're at today. <laughs> I love it, man. I love the detail. I love the highlights. And I have many, many questions. So <laughs> I'm not going to say go, too go. far back because you did a good job of covering a lot of that stuff. But as you de delve into real estate and you started to understand, you know, you started to really understand the nuts and bolts and what your wife was doing. And I think you got your license yourself. And again, you're, you're, you're soaking things in, you're seeing how she's maybe taking down deals. Um, what was your biggest asset to her at the time? Uh, I was analytical, right? I was very analytical, um, you know, and well, actually, there was two things, right? I helped her with the numbers part for sure. I helped her with that part. But little by little, I would take calls with clients. I would take calls on the, like difficult deals, difficult clients. I'd get with them on the phone because I was, mm -hmm. I, you know, I realized I was kind of good at, you know, persuading people, talking people down, you know, uh, you know, real estate's a big deal. It's, you can get passionate. You can get, you can get a lot of conflict uh, between parties. 
I'm good at like de-escalating and getting people to like agree to stuff. I'm very diplomatic in that sense, right? So I, she would give me the phone, like, hey, Gus, just take take the phone. One time it was like, hey, you talk to this guy, just help me out here. Because she has zero patience, you know, for people sometimes, right? It's like, boom, take this call. And I took it and I was able to talk this guy down and get him to agree like, to a negotiation, right? So she's like, I became the closer, and I kind of the closer, right? Hey, here you go, here you go, here you go. Uh, you know, we were at a conference. She's like, can you just take this call for me? And, and I started helping with other things, right? It started with just helping her get her, her files in order, her IT stuff ready, uh, you know, uh, uh, making her like workflow the more efficient. Digital signatures was not a thing back then. I helped her implement that, digital signatures, little things like that, like an IT guy. And then suddenly I was helping her on sales calls. And then suddenly I was helping her hire people onto her team. And then suddenly I was running the team. I mean, I, I, it, it sounds like it's a straight line, DeRay. It's not, man. There's curves and U-turns and, you know, uh, but, but that's how it slowly progressed into like, what am I doing? I am way more excited about helping you on your team and take advantage of this rising market. I saw it. I said, hey, this is going to be, I thought it was going to be a five, six year run. It's been 10 years and it's right. still, there's, I mean, no sign of stopping, right? But I'm like, hey, let's jump on this train. Let's see where it takes us. Why not, man? You know, uh, uh, and here's another thing. I, I, this is like a personal thing. Uh, but it happened along the same time, the same span of months where Microsoft got reorged. My wife's business was really taken off. My mom got diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, right? Mm. And my grandma passed away uh, maybe four or five months after she got diagnosed from wow. Alzheimer's as well, like after wow. 12 years of being diagnosed. So I saw that and, I, and it was devastating to me. My per, you know, and my mom, I, you know, it's like, how do you even imagine? I can't imagine what she went through. I know what I went through and it was awful, um, you know, because I, I, you can see what's going to happen to you, right? That's a terrible disease. It's a degenerative That's, disease. Yeah, yeah. You, you become another person, right? 100%. And, and, and you lose everything. Uh, you don't lose your possessions. You lose everything else and you realize how valuable that is, right? right. And, 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 I, and I said, and my mom was 65 years old when she got diagnosed, by the way, 65. And I said, you know, and it got me into this whole, you know, thing of like, you know, like what? First, you have to get past like the devastation and like, why me? Why us? Why my mom? You know, once you get past that, I'm like, you know, all those things you put off and you're going to say, hey, well, I'll do it later in life, right? I mean, DeRay, there's people that literally wait until they're 65 to start living their lives the way they want to. There's people that wait that long. Right. And I'm like, well, what if you don't have that long, right? What if at 65 is the cutoff and bro? Whatever you did until now, this is this is it, man. You're done. You're yeah. gonna still be around, but you're not really gonna be around. Yeah, that's absolutely. just tough. That's just life, right? Sorry. There's people that are gonna be walking around like nothing for 95 years. You, you didn't get that ticket. This is the hand you got dealt. What did you do with your life until uh, up to now? Because this is it, bro. And, and 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 I asked myself that question, and I said, what am I gonna answer if, when that question comes? What am I gonna be able to say? I played it safe and worked at Microsoft all my life, right? That was the path I was on. I never changed, you know, companies. I, I, I made a ton of money. I had a bunch of stuff. And I was like, always thinking of what could have been. That was the path I was on. What if I would have tried this? What if I would have tried that? What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen, right? What's the worst that could have happened if I would have taken that plunge? And I realized that regret is the real thing you need to be able to, you know, you know, handle at that age. Can you deal with the regret? What, what could have been? What mm -hmm. could have been? 
how valuable was all the stuff you had, all the stuff, right? How, what did you have to trade off for all that stuff, I'd love for that this. comfort? And here's another thing. Coming from a developing country, a third world country like Mexico, DeRay, the worst case scenario for me if I became an entrepreneur and failed, went broke, went bankrupt, was that I went back to working for a corporation. That was the worst thing that could happen to me. That was it. That was rock bottom. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was it. Going back for to my some, corporate job. For some reason, people think rock bottom is being homeless and, 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 and standing in line at the soup kitchen, but that's just not the case. That, that, is, that is a fear-based objection. And like in all things that I've experienced in sales, fear-based objections are not typically rational, right? right? They're not really based in, in, in reality. Not typically, typically, I mean, COVID just happened. So let me, I, I found some exceptions to that last year. But in general, in general, uh, you know, these fear-based objections are not based in reality. And neither were mine, right? So in the U.S. or Canada or a lot of these first world countries, um, guys, the, the worst thing that can happen to you, you got to dust yourself off, eat a, you know, a little bit of humble pie, go back to, to work for the man that is the absolute worst thing that can happen and 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 you build yourself back up and you can be at it again in a couple of years maybe even less right so once you realize how little you have to lose you're free yeah i felt the same way i felt the same way gustavo i was thinking about my corporate journey and you know same exact kind of a similar path like i worked for the harvard the princeton the yales of accounting firms i worked for a big four accounting firm and you know to get in like you had to be prestige the, the most prestigious person in school and it was just like once i got there i realized that i didn't want to be there for 40 50 years i i, I couldn't imagine being there for another six months i was just like how am i gonna do this year in year out every single week of every single month of every single year and how is this going to be fulfilling for me to be a bean counter for me to be an i was auditing the financial statements of some of the real, uh, biggest real estate companies in the world and i had and i was seeing what they were doing and i was just like man all i'm doing is adding one plus one and it equals two like there's no fulfillment in my job and you want me to do this for people i was just looking at my my seniors my senior managers the partners and you want me to do this for 40 years like the 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 the, the, the carrot for me in, in college was oh after 10 years of being in corporate, you're going to start making half a million and half a million dollars a year. That was the carrot. I was just like, okay, sign me up. Year one, year two, I was like, I, there's, there's no way. There's no, there's no amount of money that you could pay me that would allow me to stay here. It's not possible. It's not possible. So, you know, and, and you talk about it being corny when you, in terms of rich dad, poor dad, but, you know, and sometimes I try to, I try to re, I try to think maybe I should remake my, my origin story, but I mean, your origin story is what your origin story is. <laughs> it's, you can't it's, change it's, it. But you got to keep it real. You I mean, got to keep like, it real. This is, this is, and, this is exactly what happened. And I think, you know, I think it helps because uh, I was really, I'll be honest, I was embarrassed to say that for a long time, like <laughs> the, the rich dad, poor dad, because one, my parents made fun of health, self-help books. Right. especially that series of books, right? It's like right. very, and even now people either love Kiyosaki or they hate him. I mean, it's true, but you got to be real and go, hey, yeah, that book inspired me. I don't care what else happened after that. That's real to me, right? And, yeah. th and that book spoke to me specifically about, it described me and my family. Period. And I don't care what, I, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in that book, a lot of things. That's one aspect of it. That's the one that spoke to me and rang true for me and my experience. And I am grateful uh, that he put that that pen to paper and wrote that book because, yeah. like, man, that was like the the earth shattering moment. It was. Yeah, you know, most engineers can't relate to the fact that 
you are good at sales. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Like that's a, that's another, like, what are you talking that's about? Gustavo? You're an engineer. You can't be good at sales. You can't talk to people. That doesn't make it. I was an accountant, right? I'm the last person you would think that could, could talk to somebody. It doesn't make any sense, but obviously it was a, it was a personality trait that you did have and that you did eventually start to hone in on once you understood how powerful it was. Now, as an agent, again, I thought about my career as, as an accountant and how I was seeing what these investors were actually doing and how much they were making as an agent. Yeah, you're making good money, but you're starting to see with the people that you're working with or the people that you're working for, rather, what you could be doing, the position that you could be in. Right. When did you when did you really start to understand the, the power that you were wielding and the position that you were in to capitalize and, and start creating generational wealth for yourself, for yourself and your family? Uh, for us, it, it was right away because I mean, just the market that we were in, right? Uh, we would see people come in, and per, this was you know 2009, 2010. I mean, so this was it was it was difficult to say this was going to be a home run. It wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. But I would see people buying their eighth, ninth, tenth property, cash, stealing these homes, right? Compared to what you know what what they had been worth only a couple of years a year before, eighteen months before. I mean, you know, yes, it was a bubble, the bubble burst. So that, that valuation was real, but it was like, holy cow. And, you know, uh, they, 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 and I was, I was thinking, wow, holy, wow, this is, and, and they were buying them and, you know, kind of keeping them, building portfolios. And, you know, it was, okay, this is, this, this is interesting. This is really interesting. How, how, how do you, how do you make that happen? How does, I mean, what, you know, and, and, and we're just seeing it. It was seeing it, uh, you know, because in those years, a lot of the clients were investors, a lot of clients were investors, in retail. In retail, right off the MLS, you see investors buying properties off the. It was not common. There were some of the few people doing a lot of those deals, right? Um, you know, and you know, you, you, and I remember it was so funny. Yeah, you know, an investor coming in, you know, making an offer fifty thousand below asking price, a hundred thousand below asking price, and I would be like, "This is nuts!" And they would get responses sometimes to it. I was like, "Maybe not to the price." They go, "Well, I can't do fifty thousand less." let's find, you know, let's, let's negotiate. Let's find a, a win-win. I was shocked at that. I could never like, holy cow. Um, you know, but, but it was just another way of looking at things, another way of doing things. And they were building, like you said, uh, a generational wealth or, or in rich set of core daddy, right? The quadrant of, you know, assets, right? Like true assets right. Uh, that you didn't have to work at nine to five and then the generating income of that. And, and I kind of started connecting the dots on that saying, oh, these people, that's what they're doing. They're, they're building up those actual assets. They're not buying stuff, not, which is what I did when I was in Microsoft. I bought, a, I bought a bunch of stuff. I bought the retail house and the cars and the trips and the and the toys and all these things. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I haven't been doing that at all. I had, I had not been building wealth. I had not been building assets. I had not been purchasing assets. I didn't do that until I was in real estate. I'm like, oh, holy cow, that's what you should do. I did a flip. Me and my brother-in-law tried to do our first flip. It was a disaster like most first flips are. Um, that ended up being... Uh, my best rental property ever in like in history, right? Because like you know, I was forced to keep it. <laughs> I couldn't sell it, um, you know, because the market was going down. People forget this. You were you flip a property, put it up there, and you would miss your target. The prices would keep going down, keep going down, keep going down. I'm like, well, I might as well just eat it. Let's see if we yeah. can rent it out. And, and and rental rates that didn't happen with rental rates. They didn't keep going down one percent a month, right? So that was a little bit of a better option at the time. And then and I still own that property. That very first flip we tried, I still own it. Uh, made it into a duplex, cash flowing like crazy, right? So uh, I saw it. I saw it. I, I worked with those folks and I saw it. And, you know, and I, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Let's see, what we, let's see what we can do. So taking some of those skills that you learned as a realtor, I mean, you said one of the first things that you really understood 
was looking at your wife's costs. What do you mean by that? Like when you were looking and maybe managing a budget, were you were you like was it to a sophisticated sense where you were looking at how much your marketing budget was and what you were getting on the back end as a return? Like what were you really focused on back then? Uh, well, first of all, it was very simple. It was like, hey, making sure you know we keep track of all the expenses, right? And we file our taxes correctly. I mean, it was very basic at the beginning because my wife is, just hates that stuff. She's literally just like, ah, here's my receipt. Where are your receipts? Ah, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> look it up and find it. So I would, you know, I would put everything in envelopes and like all the receipts, you know, like I'm that guy. I'm that, you know, a little bit, you know, a little anal on that, on those kind of things. So I would just organize her paperwork and get her stuff ready for taxes. And then uh, once I read a book that was also a re- one of those uh, um, impactful books, which was MREA, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent, and, and MREI, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor, um, I'm like, oh, so it's not just about the IRS looking at these numbers, right? It's not because that was, that's what I thought budgeting was. How much you make, how much you lose, report it to Uncle Sam and pay your bill. That was what I thought the numbers were. I was like, oh, so these numbers can be used to look look forward, right? Mm-hmm. I was only looking backwards. Like mm-hmm. you can look forward. And and you know, for out of MREA, I got that first model of every dollar you spend on that marketing and advertising should give you a 10x return. That is mm-hmm. adequately spent. Money, that was a right? that was the next seed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, but but that's not easy to find. That's not typical, not a typical return on investment for that for that marketing spend. So you had to play this game of green light, red light, which is another concept I learned from that book. Ooh, like, ooh, okay, try this? out. Yeah, try out. Try spend money. Give it a give it a, a time frame. Give it some runway, and if it's working, green light it. Keep spending there. Spend more, right? And you can see if it scales up. Not all not all lead sources scale up properly. They don't scale up proportionally, right? And if it's not making you money after three months, after six months, red light it, print it off. I love this concept. Else. So right, so so as an agent, and I'm not saying these are the things that you did, but you know you, you're trying to find different tellers to represent. So maybe you do, you know, a few few radio ads. Maybe you go to the green sheet back then, if you guys know what that is. Um, maybe you uh, you you do a few networking events. You take a few uh, brokers out for lunch or whatever the case may be. But you're you're testing all these things to see what what really is going to build traction. Is that right? A hundred percent. And you're trying to and you're holding your money accountable. It's very much easy. It's easier said than done. It's not easy to do. It actually takes a lot of discipline. You have to try. But if you start spending money on like internet lead generation, which is a whole category in and of itself, right? Are you going to go with a vendor or marketing agency? Are you going to spend directly with Google, with Facebook? All of these things are different. And you got to hold them accountable uh, to the money you're spending and the result you're getting, which means you have to start tracking things, Hmm. right? You have to have a little bit of process and systems in place particularly when you start spending on the internet. Uh, it's the easiest way to lose money uh, that I've ever found within real estate, spending money on these internet lead generation. You, money can go fast in that in that sense, almost akin to like farming, right? If you don't do farming properly, you can lose a ton of money on farming as well. So a lot of these uh, uh, investments, they can be large investments. You have to find a way to hold them accountable. When did you when did you really hold this concept by the horns and go after it? Was it in the real estate agent business going after uh, sellers and, and buyers or was it as you became a real estate investor looking for sellers that way? Like, when did you really think, like, I, I really need to figure out how to make this a bank where I put a dollar in and I get ten dollars out? When did that really hit home for you? It started when I was a real estate agent because I discovered uh, one of the, the roles my team had. Uh, you know, administrative assistant, a buyer's agent, a listing agent, you know, team leader. Uh, I discovered this role called inside sales agent, which was a, a lead generation role, you know, within the team. It's also a salaried role, 
So it's like, whoa, hold on. In real estate, you always want to avoid, you know, the salary positions, right? It's like, oh, whoa, this sounds like this sounds expensive, but but what can it do for me? Um, I realized that was a really efficient way uh, uh, to both to do two tasks: one, lead generation, generate new people into my database, and number two, convert them, help with the conversion task. So, so I like that it could focus on both of those things: generate new people and convert the people I already have into appointments, into into new clients to sign on the dotted line. So I saw that, and 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 if you've ever run a real estate team or worked with with agents, you know this is the ISA is a role, right? The same way an administrative assistant is a role. If you don't have them on your team, you are the ISA, you are the administrative assistant, you are the transaction coordinator. You start by doing them all yourself, like like any business owner. This is you. But agents, you know, and and I love my agent clients. Love you guys, everybody. Uh, are not the best at doing repetitive tasks. They're not the best at grinding away on the phone. They're not the best at that. They probably actively avoid it because <laughs> it's hard. It's a difficult job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ISA though, inside sales agent, uh, that's their job to be on the phone all day. That's literally what you hire them to do. And you're paying them an hourly wage and bonuses on top of that to be on the phone, hit the phone, um, set appointments, find motivated sellers, find sellers. I mean, we're re- in retail, right? We'll find any kind of seller. Uh, that wants to put their property on the market. So I, I like the role because of its efficiency and its scalability, right? So that was probably when it kind of clicked for me. And it clicked so much, this is my personal story, that I started a new company. I said, hey, I can. I like this. It's a mo- I came from a systems background, engineer, right? So like, I like this model. I like its scalability. And it is such a, I saw such a huge need for it in the industry that I spun up a whole new company for it. And that's how I started Power ISA. And for me, it was such a, you know, looking back, it's really obvious. It's not always obvious looking forward, but looking back on it, I saw that, you know, when real estate, it's like investors, you have to be on the phone and chase those leads and turn them into clients and prove your value and compete with the marketplace because there's a lot of people trying to offer and steal that client from you. You're competing. You're always trying to get them to work with you. When I started my ISA business, right? This is and, I, and this is for me. I said, I can build an ISA team in Mexico where I'm from. I bet I can, because I had one in, in-house in Seattle, very difficult to run. I said, I bet I can build a team in Mexico um, and they can do it as good or better than anyone because um, that's where I was from. I got to find people like me, right? If the gab, good on the phone, uh, they can talk to people and have a good conversation with them and convert them, right? So I said, I bet I can do it. As soon as people found out I was doing that, I got four people giving me money, DeRay, to hire someone for them as well. Like, hey, Gus, well, if you're going to go do that, I mean, bro, save me a seat, hire a guy for me. And what, and you're going to train them. I know you're good at this. So, so train mine too. Well, yeah, here's some money. <laughs> do it. You know, let me hire you. So it was the first time in real estate where clients were looking for me, DeRay, mm-hmm. right? And that spoke to, as a business person. That's like, okay, that's interesting. That's really interesting, right? Because I had no marketing budget for this business. I had no prospecting. I'd done nothing. And people were seeking me out and said, hey, I heard you're starting and you haven't signed me up yet. Sign me up. My, my, I, here's the money. I'm like, and this is thousands of dollars, by the way. I, I, I said, you know, hell, you know, <laughs> well, you, I've got to pay up front. You know, you got to pay at least, you know, three, four months. So it's going to be 10 grand. And they would say, yes. I'm like, damn it. I, ch- I charge too little, right? <laughs> I, I should have charged more. Right. So it was 75, 75 to $10,000 a pop. And they were still saying yes. And I'm like, okay, whoa. Then this is like nuclear. This is something else, right? This is, this is now something uh, I, could, they, I couldn't get them away from it, right? So I knew, I knew it was onto something. 
I knew there was a demand, unmet need in the marketplace. And that's kind of how I gravitated more towards that. But, but that's the, 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 the lead generation, lead conversion source uh, that I saw had a multiplying effect. And that was the same whether it was uh, for investing or for retail because the role was the same, right? Absolutely. Just different uh, kinds of businesses. You know, I have a gentleman who uh, I interviewed maybe last week. I think his interview will actually air after yours. But, um, you know, he um, he faced a situation where many of us face it, including myself to this. They actually have this problem right now, um, right after this call. I've been doing interviews all day, but right after this call, I'm actually doing a different type of interview, which is uh, trying to find a new lead virtual assistant. Uh, but anyways, this guy was having a, a very similar issue to me. I've had, I've had this problem for years, by the way. My audience knows this. Um, so uh, he decided to just he said, I'm done with this. I'm going to start my own virtual assistant company. And he talked to a, um, a virtual assistant company owner based out of the Philippines, which is where I get all my VAs from. And he just started his own outsourcing company. And, you know, it's been doing really, really well. And, you know, there are many advantages. I talk to, um, I talk to my audience all the time about the advantages of working with VAs in the Philippines and how cheap it is and how they're willing to work on our hours and how they do speak very fluent English. Um, but, you started your ISA business in Mexico, and I know an inside sales associate is very different from a virtual assistant. So I want you to tell me about the difference, and then I want you to tell me about maybe some of the advantages of being so close to home, because I know that's an even better time zone to work with the U.S. So kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I would say inside sales agent is a, is a specific type of virtual assistant, right? Uh, they're all virtual assistants. They're all VAs. You can have U.S.-based VAs, right, if you want to really go really, really wide on it. I think I have Filipinos on my team as well. I'm going to be super honest with you. I have two Filipino VAs working for me, uh, unbelievably hardworking people, uh, you know, and very good at a very specific kind of task, which is an, I found my experience, they're unbelievably good at these administrative tasks, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, for, for billing, for customer service, for, you know, uh, data entry, data capture, lead scraping, uh, prospecting, like direct messaging. I, I have them do all those kinds of things. They, 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 they're my personal assistants and they assist my sales team. That's, that's, I found that, that that activity is a 10x return, probably more, probably 50x return on, on what I invest and the output that they are able to provide. Amazingly good. And they're very well educated, like, like college and masters, like that right, level. Exactly. And experience in Fortune 500 companies. I've been right. supervisors that are the companies and all, all this stuff, right? Unbelievably loyal. Uh, employees, the same, really similar culture as in Mexico, actually, right? So actually really similar background for the, for the history nerds out there. They yes. we were, you know, in Mexico and Philippines, we were both from you know, the Spanish, you know, we're both of us, we're both Catholic countries. I mean, it's, it's crazy how similar we are. Right. Um, so I love both countries. I love, and I love people working for me from both uh, countries. The thing that sets them apart, my humble opinion, uh, is the folks in Mexico that we hire, uh, they've grew up in the U S right not just speak English fluently, they speak English natively, right? Mm -hmm. That's really the key difference. That, that's the value proposition that you have from an ISA based Absolutely. in Mexico versus Absolutely. one based anywhere right. else in the world. And you can have fluent English and, and any, you can have fluent English in China and India and Philippines, all these places. But there's a difference between there is a fluent difference. English and, and native English. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason, like this is a really like sarcasm, Duray. That is a very American thing, man. That's like, try <laughs> to explain that to like, uh, you have to be really into the culture, like really into the culture right. to like pick up on that because you can have, you know, and, and I, I, I've had Filipino ISAs. I'm going to be really honest. I've, I've had them. And, you know, and, you know, it, it happened to me. We're like, hey, you can have like, hey, this person, you know, 
I have a million dollar listing appointment for you. And I would listen to the recording and like, hey, would you sell your home? I will for a million dollars. And, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, that's not exactly what he meant, right? So there's there's always some kind of a, a cultural barrier. The same with any other country. If you haven't been in the U.S. and understand U.S., uh, sarcasm is a great example. I love that example. I love, that. That. I love it. That's too. real. That's real. Um, you know, because people are, uh, yeah, you got to be uh, uh, in the culture to understand those kind of things. And I think Mexico and Central America, too, not just Mexico, a lot of Central America, Latin America have that advantage. A lot of the folks grew up there as kids, you know. And they either moved back as adults or their parents moved back and moved back with the families. Um, so we have a really interesting uh, a migration pattern. Where there's a lot of folks in Mexico that speak English natively, right? So it's a pretty wild distinction. That I would say that is the biggest difference uh, with a Mexico, Latin American-based ISA versus anywhere else in the world. Absolutely. And I, again, I do love the the time zone as well. That help, that can't hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a, so, you know, I mean, you, you get a different profile of person too. If you're able to work like regular hours, like during the day, um, you know, you, you, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a easier to recruit people. It's easier to retain people in that sense. And you're looking for salespeople. That's another big difference, right? Looking for hustlers, looking for yeah. people that are like have that. And so, so you, there's competition for these folks. I mean, even in Mexico, it's a, it's not always super easy to get people, and it's not super easy to retain them. So, telling them you don't have to work midnight to eight a.m. is a, is a huge plus. So, when your 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 business, are you are you finding people who are wet behind the ears, and they they just have like a clean slate, and you're training them your way yourself, or are you finding experienced people, and you're kind of having to mold them to what you want them to to ultimately do in the business? Uh, we we get both, um, but we have the advantage uh, since I'm in country, right? Because you know we have a because there's a lot of folks that hire within Mexico. It's a great people are always looking for ISAs in Mexico. I have a big advantage that I'm like in country and we used to, we used to actually have like a physical call center there. So, you know, we would be, we used to be a face-to-face like in-person call center, not anymore, but you know, we, we built it that way and we were able to f- figure out a way to train people from zero that had not been on the phone, that had not, they had fluent English, they had the gift of gab, they had this, the raw skills, raw skills, but we we're able to bring them in and turn them into telemarketers, turn them into prospectors, uh, turn them into, you know, lead conversion experts from, from zero. And that's a huge advantage, right? Because the talent pool widens a ton if you're able to bring people that are fresh, like you said, wet behind the ears, don't have experience. And there's another thing, Duray, this is 100% real. Someone that hasn't been in a, like every call center on the block, they don't bring bad habits either. Mm-hmm. Not going to be, you know, that's, that's real. I, I, like my, I have two full-time trainers now. They don't love it when someone says they've worked at 18 different call centers. They don't love that. It's actually a red flag for them, right? Um, you know, they might not be committed. They might not be coachable. They lack a certain discipline or loyalty to the company, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's not a great thing sometimes for them. And I try to talk them away from that. Like, oh, keep an open mind. It's hard because uh, they see the patterns, right? Yeah. When, when, as we progress down your journey, because there's just so much to uncover. I know we don't have yeah. enough time, <laughs> but um, I think about you starting to build out your investment business and your investment portfolio, and even while you having your ISAs in place, right, doing all the inbound sales and really just taking the deal from possibly not a deal to, hey, like they're crossing the finish line, you still have to do some sort of marketing. You still have to get leads, right, for your ISAs to actually pursue. And that's what I want to talk about next. What's your primary source for getting leads? And then we'll kind of dive into that a little bit more if I know where we're going with this. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, and and, and I got to talk about the market of the now, because I can tell you what worked a year ago, two years ago, you know, right this moment, it's a challenging time to find motivation. <laughs> that goes kind of without saying, right? So 
I think probably the number one thing is working for me and also working for clients of mine. So I don't, don't want to say that this is like a great idea because Gus says so. Clients of mine tell me this because I, I, I provide ISAs for investors as well. This is not just me. Um, it's cold calling is, is, is still the number one thing, but it's not the way it was even two years ago. If anyone does cold calling for lead generation, for prospecting, for, for motivated sellers, you're going to know, you know the, the, the connection rate is down. It takes longer to talk to people now. It takes more hours to get those conversations. It takes more hours to get those appointments set. The efficiency is going down, right? The, the technology is getting better to block you as an outbound prospector. Just be honest about that. Uh, the, the do not call list is expanding. It doesn't go down. It only goes up, right? I mean, all these things go in there to kind of hurt you and, and, and remove productivity. So targeted cold calling has become more of a thing. What does that mean? It means making sure that you're not just, you know, a couple of years ago, you could get away with certain prospecting a whole, a carpet bombing a whole neighborhood. You didn't <laughs> have to be that selective. You yeah. just call everything. It was, yeah. you know, you have a virtual assistant doing it. The lists are super cheap. Like just call everything and everybody. And I called every single phone number in that three county area within a year, every single publicly available phone number, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of calls, right? Uh, you know, we'd call them and we'd call them until we burned that list essentially, right? So, but it was easy to do. It was relatively, and I had a massive ISA army, right? So it was easy to do, but that's not easy to do anymore. That's not. The technology is cut up with us. Robocalling really changed the industry when it comes to outbound prospecting. The technology caught up, and to really pick out the robocallers, that took everybody else kind of with it, right? In that sense. So targeted cold calling is probably the only way to really do it and be successful right now. The same way you generate lists for mailing lists, the same way you generate lists for, you know, whether you're going to do driving for dollars, those lists are probably the only way to do outbound prospecting nowadays. Get those high equity lists, get those delinquency lists, those, uh, you know, notice of default lists, skip trace them at a high level, like quality skip tracing. Don't cheap out on your skip tracing, guys. Don't spend a ton of money on the list and then cheap out on the skip tracing. It's yeah, you're like, doing it wrong. There's no point, <laughs> right? Like get, get, get a good source, get a good source if you can. Um, you know, and and get quality numbers, m- match multiple numbers if you can, and and call through it, and try to find people, try to connect with people. If you can find a way to get five to ten conversations to happen within an hour, uh, you're going to have a high performing uh, prospecting team. Five to ten people to pick up the phone within an hour, it, it, you're going to be really successful. If you can't get anywhere near that, it's just going to take more hours. It's going to be less efficient. It's going to take longer to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can totally relate. And, um, we haven't much talked about real estate strategies here, but this is, this is one of the reasons why I love my strategy. You talk about some of the things that, you know, you were experiencing during 08, 09 and and 2010 and, you know, be investors buying on market deals, deals on the MLS. And, you know, that's very much a part of my strategy today. Whereas most investors can't do that. Most investors won't do that. And it wouldn't make any sense for a lot of investors to do that. But, um, but, I, I do creative financing, right? So I buy properties mm-hmm. via subject to, I buy properties via owner financing. And then my exit strategy is to sell to a tenant buyer who often is going to pay a little bit more than market. So I'm able to, um, you know, back when I was just wholesaling, right? I would talk to, I would talk to sellers all day and, um, you know, my VAs would prospect and, you know, one out of every 30 or 40 or 50, you know, I'd probably get a maybe, right? Just because, you know, you have one formula, you're making a lowball offer and you're, you're hoping that, you know, somebody's desperate enough to take that offer. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't fulfilling work, right? Every once in a while, you'll get a thank you. Like you really helped me out of this situation, but 
once I learned how to do creative financing, like my, my entire business model changed because now instead of just closing one out of every 50, I'm closing one out of every 40, I'm closing one out of every 30, one out of every 25. And this is only because I have more tools in my tool belt. I have more options, options, you know, as opposed to a seller who, you know, their, their, their property is worth 400 and they, they owe, you know, 390, no realtor wants to go next to them. No, no wholesaler wants to go next to them. Most investors are going to run away from them. But if I can sell their property for 425 and make a little bit of a spread, 20, 30 grand, I'm good. Right. So I, I, I've unlocked the niche and I haven't unlocked it myself, but through mentorship, I found a niche where I can really buy properties on market and pay over market value. So my close rate has been a whole lot higher ever since I, I've been able to do that. With that being said, we're still getting leads from a lot of these lists, right? So high equity lists or even a low, most people would never attack a low equity list. A low equity list is my sweet spot. I love low equity lists, you know? No, and no one's, I, I can, I can, I can definitely tell you, you know, not, and I work with a lot of investors. Uh, they're, they're focused on the traditional methods and, and these, these super hot markets like the Austin, Texas, Miami, and the, the markets where you can actually, there's a lot of disparity within the, within the property values and the new property values. That's the only place it can work. It's the only place it can work, that kind of a model. You're really reduced to Atlanta, Austin, you know, and otherwise you're not really going to be able to do that, right? But, but I love that tactic because that tactic is like, well, the sky's the limit then, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, again, just thinking about, and, and I think um, the main thing I wanted, to, I wanted to touch on, because again, pulling a lot of these lists, right? We're all pulling a, a lot of the same lists. And ultimately you're, you're starting to understand that a lot of these, a lot of these sellers are jaded, right? Like, you know, they talk to, you know, wholesalers all day. They talk to realtors all day. They talk to investors that, that you know, just, they just can't meet the numbers all day. So by the time they get on it, if we are able to get them on the phone, it's it's a it's a no brainer. Yes, they want to do a deal with this, but ultimately we still do have trouble getting people on the phone because of all the things that you talked about and all the things I just named. And I know that you have this expertise in Facebook, and I just want to really talk about really quick. I know we're, we're running short on time, but talk about how you're even driving leads from Facebook because now these are not unqualified leads that you're talking to or that your ISAs are talking to. These are these are qualified leads. So kind of talk me through not not before we talk about the process. How you again going back to that red light green light? How you decided upon you know your Facebook strategy? If it's a Facebook ad strategy or maybe a Facebook group strategy, maybe a little bit of both. But how you decided upon Facebook as a platform, and then how you decided upon your strategy, and then what that process looks like? Oh yeah, absolutely! Great, 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 great question. So Facebook is really good at two things. Really good at two things. Number one, uh, going after cold traffic, cold audiences, right? Uh, you know, Facebook doesn't allow like a lot because due to restrictions in Facebook, you can't really target people based on income, based on, you know, not really based on location, kind of, but not really. Um, so there's a lot of restrictions around it. So when you're talking about cold audiences, you're putting out an offer to the 15 mile radius and let's see who sees it. Right. Um, you know, that is one strategy on Facebook. You put out an offer and typically it's going to be, hey, cash right now, as is condition, you know, seven days to close, no questions asked, right? Kind of a kind of an offer. That's what right. you want to put out there. And you want to put compelling copy. You want to put an image that makes people stop scrolling on this thing. They're on this thing. They're trying to, you know, find the oh wait, stop. What why is that interesting? Let me see, let me see what that's about. And you want to try and speak to them as quickly as possible because you only got like a couple seconds of their attention, which means it's your headline or or bust. Your headline has to be catchy. It has to speak to their situation. How can you resolve their situation? If they're going through a divorce, to relocation, medical bills, I mean, there's a picture, lost their job, their business went under, they need cash right now. Um, you got to be talking about that offer and you got to be compelling to those cold audiences, right? And you got to be able to do that. 
And in this, even if you're going to a cold audience, a lot of people that try Facebook, they hate it because they say that there's a lot of unqualified leads. Gus, this stuff is, this stuff is garbage. Because I'm going to go back in my list. Facebook is no good. It'll never work. And it'll be as high quality as these verified lists, right? And in general, that's true. One thing you can do to bump up the quality of those leads is put them through a questionnaire, put them through a landing page, put them through some friction, make them jump through a few hoops to send you their information. If they're just curious and just browsing, they just want a cash offer on their property and they're thinking they're going to retail, they probably won't answer a 15-question questionnaire. Probably won't. Um, so if you're, you're, my recommendation, especially for motivated sellers, is yes, put out a, a catchy, a great image, a catchy headline, get them into a landing page that is going to drill them and ask them every po- ask them five different questions about the condition of the property. Ask them five different questions about their motivation to sell. Qualify them. See right. if they're actually a motivated seller. Your cost per lead is going to go up a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Motivated sellers are probably the most expensive lead uh, to generate on Facebook. Probably they are. Um, you know, what, if, what, if a retail... Um, what price range are you looking at? Because uh, I think uh, the last guy who uh, who I brought on, I literally just brought on a Facebook guy. I think he's, yeah. he's one one twenty five to one fifty a lead. That's uh, I I don't think you're going to be able to generate one below fifty dollars. You know, and I'm not. You know, I'm going to say, hey, this market or that market. That seems real to me. If that's that is a lead, you put through friction. That is a lead that is going to come through you because they're they're responsive. They they've got a qualifying property. We've got a qualifying situation. Hundred that does not seem weird. I have not seen anything below fifty dollars, just to be honest with you, in that range. Where retail buyers and retail buyers are a dollar a lead, uh, uh, in, in maybe a qualified one, five dollars, ten dollars a lead in, in through that's Facebook. Not, qualified, yeah. Sell, seller leads maybe two or three times that, like third twenty to thirty dollars retail seller lead. That is a very low converting lead off of Facebook. Motivated sellers, it's the most expensive by far. Um, because because of the market we're in, right? So so that, just understand that and kind of figure that out. But it's better that they're more qualified, and that's a hard thing to kind of I figure out. People, yeah, I want people to understand that. I don't think it, yeah. it's, it's as clear as you know. I, I see a lot of marketers and, and investors make the mistake that they want a really cheap lead, right? A really right. low cost lead. I'm like, you're you have to follow the numbers about, and go yeah, to it's the about cost t- practice. It's about ROI, ROI, ROI. Yes. And, and and the crazy thing is if if the so it's all about your cost per acquisition. How much does it cost you to get that deal done? Mm-hmm. To get the deal done. How many leads does it take to set an appointment? How many appointments does it take to get a signed contract and then take you to the closing table, right? So you gotta add that up. And and we've measured this really, really closely for retail and for investors, for both. And even if your cost per lead doubles or triples, your cost per lead doubles or triples when you qualify them more, your cost per acquisition should go down. It should go down 20%, 30%, even if the cost per lead doubles or triples, doubles or triples. So again, don't take my word for it, folks. Go out there, try it for yourselves. Uh, You know, it won't go wrong. I mean, add that friction, further qualify those leads, bump up that cost per lead. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Also, online lead generation is not where you should start <laughs> when you're when you're an investor. It right. is hazardous, guys. It is it takes a lot of money. It takes time. If you don't have six months of runway uh, to try this out, don't try it. Right? It's like it any was. farming activity. Don't do it unless you have the bankroll and you've got the funds to do this. You shouldn't start with Google pay per click. You shouldn't start uh, with Facebook online Facebook leads. My very humble opinion. Right? So I didn't start my business that way. So I I, I would I could not recommend in good faith. Oh yeah, give it a try. It's easy. It's not easy. It's actually hard, but it is probably one of the most scalable ways uh, uh, to build a business. And a lot of the investors that we work with that have 
10 person teams, 15 person teams, they all do Google pay-per-click and Facebook ads, paid, paid leads. They do paid online leads. It's a part, not the only thing they do, but it is a part of a, a foundational part of the business now because it scales very well, it scales very well. And it stops scaling at a certain amount. You got to be careful how much you spend, right? You can't, I have investors spending $1,000 a day uh, on online leads, 1000 bucks a day. Uh, you know, why aren't they spending 10,000? Because they're not going to get 10 times the return. They spend it. They've tried it. If they could, they would, but it doesn't scale that well in every single market. You got to be careful with these things. They're, they're definitely advanced. They work. So that's one. So that, that whole thing was one tactic on Facebook, cold audiences, cold audiences. There's a second one, Dure, that I would be, I would be remiss not to tell you, which is the retargeting aspect of Facebook, yep. the retargeting aspect of Facebook. Mm-hmm. So any way that you get a lead into your ecosystem, any way you get them, whether that's prospecting, landing page, phone call, I don't care how you get them, you have to find a way to get them into a retargeting campaign through Facebook. You have to find a way to do it. Get their email address, their phone number, their name, email address, and phone number, or two of those of those three is usually enough to get them as an audience member within Facebook. And you can serve them ads as a warm audience. This is no longer cold. You've or probably maybe you've spoken to these people, or they've seen some of your material. Use something called also, a Facebook you also pixel. Just pixel at your landing page. Yes, you can also do that. So you know, for, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's another way to do it. Um, you know, you can you can create an audience with their information, or you can install the Facebook Pixel. You know, Google that Facebook Pixel on your landing page, on any page you have, on your home page, on your landing page, on your confirmation booking page, whatever it is. Put it there, use it, and 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 it's going to be even more powerful. You're going to have this audience, and you and you don't have to spend a thousand dollars a day on that ad campaign. You don't. You can spend dramatically less on what are, that. what are your retargeting I, numbers looking like because i know it's drastically less oh yeah no i i'm, I'm well you know i i, I want to be careful and don't, don't want to set wrong expectations but i have retargeting campaigns right now running at five dollars a day yep yeah five bucks a day yep that sounds right and that that's right. nowhere near what you have to run for a cold audience which is probably going to be 10 times that as a minimum right um you know oh that we probably you know it's, it's more expensive to run cold audiences but if you find a way to get people into your warm audiences however you got them however you got them um you can really reduce your cost dramatically that way it's it's a it's a longer term play but you got to be in it to win it and you cannot let leave any lead behind no leads left behind right you always got to be doing something with them otherwise your numbers are never going to work right if you're only going to be based off the responsive cold leads you're good, you're you're already behind the eight ball. Speaking it's my really language. hard to get to get positive ROI, right? So, so I, and I know you know I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know 100. I I agree 100 with that. That's how I run even my ISA business. That's how we that's the lead generation uh, strategy that we use. Um, and then in, in addition to that, I mean, again, this is, depends on your own business. Don't just stop at retargeting. Have a newsletter. Have a Facebook group. I mean, you have a Facebook group, Dre. Do all these things with this. Build an audience. Speak to them. Add value to them. We can go on. This is a whole other episode we can do, Dre. You know, add value to that audience, um, and good things are going to happen. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Gustavo, so much value. I need you guys to go back and press rewind 50 million times because so much value <laughs> has just been dropped. And it, guys, like this is literally how you can build a multi-million dollar business. Like th- these are the keys. And it's not just with Facebook. It's literally it goes across the board. These strategies are, are are proven, time tested. And, you know, I learned the hard way. I'm still learning the hard way. Right. Um, you know, I used to think that just targeting cold audiences was the was what 
people were doing. I never knew that, you know, you had to cultivate a relationship and you had to do all these things. And, you know, what's crazy about, you know, I have two different businesses, my coaching business and my real estate business. I have to worry about like, how do I make sure that I'm doing the right things in both, but in real estate, like now, you know, I just think about the CRM structure that we have in place. Like there's no lead that won't get five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 touches in spite of me. Like before I used to make sure that I used to be the one following up, making sure, all right, one month follow up here, two week follow up here, three month follow up here, and just have the tasks and like have it be like, all right, I got to cross this off the list. Now we have it automated. It's all set up. So whether or not I get out of bed, whether or not my VAs do what they need to do, those things automatically get sent out by my CRM because I know that that cold initiation is just the beginning of a relationship. That no is just the beginning of an eventual. Yes, we just have to stay top of mind. So I absolutely love everything you're saying. We're Man, this, is, this has been amazing. And again, you, you, whatever your lead source, whatever your lead source, right? And even focusing on Facebook ads, that's when, you know, you get your lead source and you start getting your leads and then you have your ISAs close everything for you. I mean, you have a perfect business model. Absolutely perfect. Um, okay. Is there anything that you, uh, you feel like we left out in terms of ISAs and even just lead generation that um, would really, really benefit our listeners? And if not, I have, I have some questions for you as it pertains to just actually negotiating and talking on the phone and it'd be really quick. Yeah, absolutely. I think we hit the major parts, especially for the investor audience out there. I think, you know, that's enough. I mean, I, I think we dropped so many nuggets in there. Each one of those, I mean, you have to take some, you have to put in the time to learn these things, right? And, you know, you can go in there. I mean, their information is out there. You can do it. You can always, you know, find a way to, to accelerate, right? And that's why trainings like yours exist, right? I mean, if people want to press the accelerator button. Yeah, I could do this for the next three months, but I want to actually do this next week, right? That, that's why the courses exist out there. I mean, there's some great ones out there. Um, but you got to put in the time, guys. Even if you get the race course, you got to put in the work. It's not just information. It's not just information. It's putting in the work, putting it into practice, and and learning kind of what works in your market. Because every market's always going to be a little bit different. Um, but getting that feedback loop from an expert, from a mentor. I mean, you, I have mentors. You have mentors, Duray. Um, It's going to accelerate that learning curve uh, and really put you ahead. So I think that, that but yeah, I wouldn't add anything else to what we just said. I love it. I love it. All right. To, to, to kind of put the cherry on top. You've trained tens, if not hundreds of ISAs, and you're training these individuals on building rapport, personality, you know, matching their the, the person on the other end, maybe asking questions, how often they should speak. You're training them on negotiating tactics and, and, and a ton of things to help you guys ultimately serve the seller. The only reason you're able to train them is because you've been in the trenches, you've done it yourself, right? And again, I've told you about some of my tactics and how I improved my close rate just because I went from, hey, this is all I can do. I can only offer you a wholesale offer to here are the four or five or six options that I have for you, which one works best for you, right? So when I change my model to making sure that I'm serving the person on the other end and I'm asking questions, I'm in the driver's seat, I'm making sure that I'm understanding, hey, this is why you don't want to work. I'm not telling you Oh, Gustavo, you shouldn't work with the realtor. You're not, you're actually going to have to come out of pocket at the closing table. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to convince you of that. I'm just going to be like, Gustavo, why not work with the realtor? You can sell your property in the next month or two. Why don't you just do that? And then you'll tell me, oh, Duray, you know what? Yeah, I can't really do that. I don't have 10 grand to bring to, you know, so, so again, I've learned these taxes over the years, but what are some of the try true things that you've learned and you've implemented and now you've talked to your ISAs that you've seen, you know, maybe just one or two things where you've seen, man, this really, really works. Or our close rate just went, you know, through the roof because we've, we've implemented this one thing, even if it's just, hey, we're, we're contacting sellers one hour after they submit an email to our, our, our landing page. What is, what, what is one or two of those things? 
Well, you, you hit on a few of them already. So I'm actually, I'm, you've done this. I can tell you're a practitioner. You kind of know what you're talking about, which is, which is awesome. Um, speed to lead is so key, right? Speed to lead is unbelievably important. You should never have the luxury to think that the consumer is only reaching out to you and you're the only person they're, they're, they've clicked on their ad and they're not going to look, they're going to wait for that call to happen uh, in, in the next day or two. 50% of le online leads in real estate retail go unattended. 50% of online leads wow. go unresponded, wow. unattended uh, every year. Millions, probably billions of dollars, you know, wasted uh, on the retail side every single year. That's real, right? That's a true statistic. And if you're ever curious, try calling around. If you're ever looking for properties on the, re on the retail market, call around these ads. You're going to get calls from some immediately, and you're going to get crickets from a lot of them. It's amazing. It's a really, then the spectrum is very wide, right? It's like, you know, but it's either one extreme or the other. So speed is important. Speed matters because the consumer's on this thing, right? They want that instant gratification. So find a solution for speed to lead. And that's, that's, that's number one. Number two, um, you mentioned it, right? And, I, and, I wanna, and we could go on for that. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a scripting expert. So I love this stuff and objection handling. But I'm going to just leave you with two important things. And it is rapport and empathy. You know, if I could inject two things into my ISAs when they came into the company, whether they're doing retail or investors, it doesn't really matter, to be honest with you. But if I could inject to them, uh, you know, building rapport and showing empathy with the seller, that is one thing I would just put in there, right? And maybe a dose of curiosity, which you said asking the right questions. I, 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 I always phrase it as show genuine curiosity which is probably one of the best ways to build rapport, you know, with a person, mm -hmm. listen to them, right? Listen to what they're saying, you know, find those hints, let them talk. Like I said, when you're asking the questions, you're in control of that conversation, but all that stuff, I summarize into building rapport, effectively building rapport with the other person and get them to tell you their story, right? And show empathy with that story. Be a human being, be kind, right? Uh, you know, that's a lot of times, that is how you start. That's what you need, right? And everything else you just said applies to, right? You know, it gets more complicated. Not That's not the only thing. It gets more complicated than that. You have to have a good offer. You have to have the options. You have to have all these things for sure. But if you're not having rapport, if you're not having, you know, that, 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 you know, that confidence for them to actually share their story with you and that empathy to understand that and react appropriately to that, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get in, into the, on the offer table with them talking about their specific situation. You're not going to get to the face-to-face. -face. The ISA role usually ends with booking the appointment or doing the live transfer. So they're not talking about numbers yet. They're typically not top, not making offers. The ISAs, at least the ones that we work with with investors, they're not making the offers yet at that stage. They're just building rapport. They're just trying to be a resource, showing empathy. And so that the seller can help them qualify both the seller and the property qualify them appropriately, making sure you're only pitching the right kinds of deals uh, to the next person in the team, which can be an acquisitions manager, can be acquisitions, you know, agent, or can be uh, uh, the investor, right? doesn't really matter. Uh, but, but that's the ISA role. Do, to do the role effectively, they got to get people to connect with them. They got to get people to open up a little bit, drop their guard a little bit, um, and, and, and building rapport uh, and showing empathy are the best ways that I've seen uh, to achieve that. This episode is brought to you by PropStream. Oh, before PropStream. Before PropStream, I struggled with subpar list providers that overcharged. Wasted gas going to the county courthouse only for them to run out of CD-ROM copies of this month's liens list. I wrongly estimated repair costs or just simply lacked the access to the MLS that I truly needed to get deals done. I mean, it was a nightmare networking with realtors hoping to get access to their software. 
To make things worse, I did marketing on a bunch of different platforms, all of which, by the way, came with the monthly costs. And I would grab my CD-ROM, I would head home, I would convert it, I would upload the list to a skip trace service, and then a ringless voicemail service, and then a postcard service, and so on. Wasting hours and missing potential deals. By the time I was finally in a position to talk to a seller, my leads were stale. And I had to start over again since I wasn't able to get real-time updates of properties that sold or were taken off the market. Lots of real estate investors are in this position and lots of real estate investors are losing. Last year, I specifically brought PropStream specialists in-house to revamp our lead generation systems, and it was instantly a game changer. Not only is PropStream one system that houses all my leads and is updated in real time, but this system has MLS-level data, even in non-disclosure states like Texas, where I invest. So now we run our own comps, our own rehab estimates, our own title searches, all of this in one app. Yes, one single app. And here's the kicker. That just scratches the surface of the power of this app. We also generate all of our leads lists with this app, from pre-foreclosures to bankruptcy and tax liens, by by county courthouse. And then once we have those dynamic lists, we can also use PropStream to market to those leads with postcards, email marketing, voice drops, and they even throw in unlimited number of landing pages so that you can have a site up and running in less than three minutes. Obviously, something like this should cost easily hundreds or thousands of dollars, but for less than a hundred dollars a month, you could own the most powerful real estate tool that I've probably ever seen. For the listeners of this show, make sure you head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash deal. That's D-E-A-L, beforethemillions.com forward slash deal for a few dollars off of your monthly subscription. I went from seven different apps to operate my business down to two once I made the switch to PropStream. And more than anything, really, it's provided me and my team with more clarity and peace of mind. That link again is beforethemillions.com forward slash deal to gain access to the all-in-one real estate tool that'll transform your business. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? So I got to go, you know, with what I said earlier, you know, it's got to be that rich dad, poor dad. I know it's a, it's uh, maybe it's the most popular answer on this podcast. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. It's real. It's real for me. Uh, and it planted the seed. It says, you know, it's planted the seed. And it was that one of those foundational books, uh, you know, when you're young and you're, you know, you're looking for the answer, you're looking for the path. It, it got dropped in my lap, man. And it, and it really helped me kind of set, uh, change my mindset uh, that allowed me to further along down the road. Uh, uh, really make the right decisions and, and be where I am today. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the most popular. I would say 60%, 70% of answers. And I'm right there in that boat. I mean, I read uh, that book and it was much more abrupt for me because I, I had a disdain for my job. So I read that book and about 30 days later, I closed on my first property. I was I was mad. Wow, so you're ready to go take action. I read, awesome. It was just like, what is this language I've never heard of before? What is, what is this like voodoo magic I'm reading in this book? This is insane. And yeah, I was just like, I have to do this. I, I have to do this. So uh, absolutely. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Uh, for me, well, this is going to sound really technical. Ring Central, because uh, I've got my chat, my whole company chats on that app. I can do web conferencing on that app, and I can do phone calls on that app. And since it's all web-based, I can be in Mexico. I can be in the U.S. I can be, as long as I have internet in that country, like a working SIM card in that country, uh, I'm connected. I've got my U.S. number. 
and I'm online and I can talk to anyone in my company. They can reach me. Um, so Ring Central, man, that is, you know, my, my location independent home uh, for my team. I love that. And that leads us right into our next question. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Oh, okay. So I have two little kids, right? So I, at Microsoft, I was in a point where I would be in the office. I would leave home at about 7.30 in the morning and I'd come back at about 7.30 p.m. every single day, right? That was just the way it worked. Um, and I, I would put in time on the weekends, not all the weekends, but I put time on the weekends whenever I needed to. And I was, I remember, you know, on my last team that I was at Microsoft talking and chatting with my team until three in the morning, right? Yes, it was because we were in a, it was crunch time. We had to perform. I'm like, well, this is fun and cool. I'm like, am I going to be doing this when I'm 40? <laughs> this, was, this was a while, a while ago. I'm like, is this, is, this, is this it? Is this is really, you know, what I, the kind of effort I'm going to be putting on day in and day out. Um, and because that's what the job wanted. It's a well paid job, well compensated. It demands a lot, right? So with, with the, the position I'm in right now, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to kind of get to decide when I work, how hard I work. I take all of my weekends off. now. You cannot re if it's only if it's an emergency, can you reach Gus on a Saturday or Sunday? Cause that's, I'm, that's daddy day. Mm -hmm. I'm playing with my kids. I'm taking them places. I'm going to go get ice cream. I'm going to go to the, you know, watch, you know, some TV with them. We're just going to hang out, right? There is no working on Saturday and Sunday. I'll check my phone every now and then. My kids hate this thing, by the way, right? Because uh, like, hey, you don't work today. Like, it's done. It's gone, right? <laughs> um, but I don't think I'd be able to do anything close to that um, if I hadn't, you know, changed paths, changed, changed careers. I wouldn't be. I'm, I'm in sunny Houston, Texas today, right? You know, and I wouldn't be in Mexico next month. And I wouldn't be in. I wasn't living in San Diego, which I love. I wouldn't be able to go to London you know, for a month to visit my brother, you know, cause he lives out there. Those things just wouldn't be possible if I hadn't made those decisions. Right. And I'm not saying that it's easy and that I don't work hard. I work hard, right. You know, I, I just don't work a bunch of hours. I think, it, I mm. think I traded one thing for the other. I, I put in my, my work and it's difficult work and it's not easy managing a hundred people because it's a hundred problems. Right. And I have a great team that helps me do that. Um, but, but I get to decide my choice, right. Uh, kind of how I want to structure that. And this is the structure I've put into place. Oh, beautiful. And beautifully said, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Uh, the stuff. I had a lot of stuff, uh, before I started, I had the Microsoft house. I had the Microsoft cars. I had the, the, you know, the toys I had, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I had the corporate Amex car. I absolutely had the corporate Amex car that I could use. Well, not unlimited, but I could use it a lot. Man. So it was, it was great. I had the business trips, right? I loved going to Mexico to recruit. I go to conferences. I take my wife with me. It was fun to kind of be pampered and taking care of that. Um, stuff gets old. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it, it's easy for me to say that because I went through it, you know, but I, I had, I had to go through it to realize that. And it was like the biggest cliche ever, right? Isn't it, Dre? Like, oh, yeah, this stuff is great. When you're coming from Mexico and this is like looking at this like it's the major leagues, yeah, you want a piece of that. I wanted it. I needed it. I had to get it on my system. I had to buy a few cars, like brand new cars and drive them around. Like, okay, this is, I'm done. This is, I, I, I get it now. I get it. Yeah, this is, this is not where happiness lies. Right. Boom, newsflash, right? right? Hopefully people listening to this can learn that easier yeah, yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to take the plunge when you're 30, which I did, almost 33 when I made the plunge. Right? That is not a great idea either, guys. Don't do. Avoid that if you can. 
get, you can do it earlier. You can do, you have to, you can be like Duray. You don't have to be like Gus, right? You know, I, I'm a, kind of a slow learner in that, in that sense, but I had to let go of this stuff and I had to, and I moved into a one bedroom apartment when I became an entrepreneur, one bedroom apartment coming from a 2000 square foot, brand new house in one of the nicest suburbs in Seattle, a one bedroom apartment for years, wow. like not six months guys. Yeah. Oh, and I was about to, this is a great story. I, I'm going to squeeze this in. So I was about to close on an investment property, Duray, right? This is um, uh, probably the summer of 2013 when I was changing, you know, when I was taking the plunge. I, this is how ignorant I was. I did not know that it really matters, even if you have the money. When you change job descriptions, yes. the lenders I know where really care about that, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I had this money, had everything ready to go. Like, oh, no, sir. I mean, well, you're, you're no longer in put in Microsoft. Yeah, I just left a week ago, but I'm here. We're ready to go. Here's my tax returns. I got tons mm -hmm. of money. No, you don't. Like you're a real estate agent now. Like you don't make any money, right? You haven't made. You've made zero dollars and zero cents uh, as a real estate agent, as an independent full-time agent. So you don't get that loan. So say goodbye to that property in the moment. And, and you know, Dre, it was just my ignorance because if when you have a good deal in hand, you can find money. I didn't know that back then. I was really, really close-minded. I let I literally let. I would just, it hurts me still to this day. I let go an amazing deal that I could have still owned if I just would have asked for help. Hey, right. lend me the money right. or, or but get a piece of it. Buy it with me as a partner. I was not, you know, smart enough back then. I'm smarter now, um, you know, but, but, but that happened to me, right? So I had to let go of a few things that were made my F really comfortable and really easy. I had to get out of that comfort zone. And I had to struggle more than I had before, right? That was a really simple example. There's a lot of those. My, my, I had to go through the experience of my card, uh, you know, being declined once because my balance went to zero on my checking account, on my business checking account. That happened, man, with a client, by the way, in the, on, in the table trying to pay for dinner. It happened. It happened. I was, I made all the mistakes people make in their 20s in my mid 30s, right. uh, you know, in, in front of all my other, you know, Microsoft buddies making six figures a year. I mean, that, that was part of it. It was a cost. Mm -hmm. It's a very superficial, banal cost. But it was a cost and it kind of and I'm not going to lie. It hurt, man. It hurt. Yeah, that, it hurt. that will hurt. Absolutely. 100%. So it's come at a cost. It's come at a cost. I would have had a much more comfortable decade if with stuff, more stuff, if I would have stayed where I was. No doubt. Easily, easily, easily. But, you know, where I'm right, I would not be where I am right now. And the next 10 years, I would be nowhere close if I hadn't mm -hmm. made this change. Mm hmm. It's it's a it's an accelerant. It's a you know, it's exponential the growth. And I, I love that. So you've kept you've kept your head down. You've watched your your cohorts and your coworkers at Microsoft make these cushy six figure incomes and live, quote unquote, the dream life. But, you know, ultimately what you're doing and what you're building. So and what you've built up until this point, but you know how much faster it's going to grow now that you have the systems in place. I love 100 percent. And there's no way to do it but to try it, mess up pick yourself back up again and keep trying again, right? The, in, in these last, you know, eight years that I've been an entrepreneur, I've, been, I've wanted to quit multiple times, guys. I've been one bad month away from hitting zero and going back to corporate life. I'd be lying to you if it's a straight line. It is not a straight line. And some people give up when the, when the going gets tough uh, and you don't have the support. My wife has been my bedrock, man, like just the, the, the angular rock of this whole thing because she gets it. She has never asked, hey, what's her bank account balance today, right? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? And I, they, I'm getting a little philosophical here, DeRay. But if you make it all about that, you're not going to last as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, what's my bank account balance today? Oh, no, it's less than it was when I was at Microsoft. I got to go back. You're never going to take the plunge. It's never going to happen. 
You got to go all in and then you're going to give yourself a chance to succeed. Yeah. After that, I feel like I may have to skip this question, but we'll ask it anyways. Who was essential to your growth before the millions (laughs) and why? (laughs) A hundred percent her. A thousand percent my wife, right? And there's a lot of people that were really important along the way, but no one is important as her. Not even, not even. My partner in crime um, has always seen, always approached things with the goal in mind. I am much more short-term focused. I am much more like the small, narrow mindset. Uh, my wife is always that inspiration that goes, we're, we are destined for bigger and better things. You are destined for bigger and better things. Wow. And she has the patience and also the patience uh, to invest that time to go. We went backwards in our lifestyle, right? People get divorced over those things, right? When you go backwards in your lifestyle, when all your friends have all this stuff, right. Right? That, that, that can break a relationship. It it's real. That's a real thing. Um, you know, and I, and I just cannot believe uh, my luck, right? My, the, how fortunate I am uh, to have someone like her in my life, not only supportive, but like the instigator of making this stuff happen, um, you know, and allowing me to make these changes. I would not, no way, I would not have made, uh, found, I would not have acted upon the skills I had. I would not have acted upon the opportunities that were in front of me if it weren't for her and her support. She, she, she's the real rock star for sure. A hundred percent. She's the mastermind. She's, the, she's a full-time mom, by the way. She's been, she's retired from, from being agent since like, I don't know, for years now. Great plan. Very smart. Very smart. Played the long game. She played the long game. She did. I mean, she was she like, Let me get started here. Get hubby on board. And as soon as he's hooked, I'm gone. <laughs> there we go. Let's have some kids. And I'm just, that's what she does now. She raises I kids. She, and that's, that's her, that's her best life. The best version of her life is being a full-time mom. Um, and that and that was hard to do uh, in our in our previous lifestyle. Right. Absolutely. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Uh, and you know, and we've touched on it throughout this interview, and it is that fear, right? You fear that you're gonna go to zero, that you're gonna go on the breadline, that you're gonna go, you know, you're and and the embarrassment that that causes and the shame that that causes and the, and the, you know, we're not, we're not able to admit that we can fail at these things. And, you know, and, and I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Once you realize how little you have to lose, how little you have to lose. And that at the end of your life, you have to deal with the regret of what could have been the trade-off is a no brainer in my opinion, right? If you really have that desire, if you have that burning need, if you're, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a great employee. I know entrepreneurs that are unemployable, right? Like they could not make it a, a five days in Microsoft, right? Because they're just there. Yeah, you, you knew right away that yeah. that's an easy case. That's yeah. an easy case. Like hey, I can't even do that. Not everyone's like that, right? Not everyone that can make it happen. I'm, I was not like that. That was not my mm-hmm. story. I was my purebred entrepreneur genes not manifest that way. It was something different, right? I was a slower burn. It was a longer time to kind of figure it out. Um, you know, and, and, and everyone arrives at it differently. Right. So I would tell people just realize how little you have to lose, how little you have to lose. That's going to give you all the freedom you need, how little you need to be happy guys. Mm. So everything we've talked about is about business and being successful. The happiness vector is orthogonal to this. It, It has nothing to do with how many, this is crazy. I know it sounds, it sounds like, you know, wishy washy and like not true. I have been unbelievably happier mm. since I left Microsoft and all that stuff. And I know people was like hard to believe that. It's kind of like crazy. But when you're with your your life partner on a journey, on an adventure, mm-hmm. uh, you can't make that stuff up. 
right? The, the ups and the downs. And yeah, the downs are terrible and the ups are amazing. Um, you know, but even when you're that, there in the middle, like there's no one else I would like to do this, you know, but with me, right? And and we lived through this and we and we made it, right? And we again, those things are just you, you can't make that stuff up. Um, and the experiences and opportunities I've had on this journey, I, I would not trade for. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Gustavo Castro, 